morning. Really glad you're here this morning. We are in the third week of our series that we've called Aftermath. If you were to dig into a dictionary, Aftermath is defined as the consequences or after effects of a significant unpleasant event. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at uh, the effects of the aftermath or we're talking about the effects of the aftermath of unpleasant events in different areas of our life, uh, family life, relationally, financially, in, in our work situations. And we're looking at how God wants to help us rebuild as we try to pick up the pieces of those things. So these are like storms, you know, the aftermath. I think of aftermath and you think of the aftermath of a storm where something got wiped out and and you're you're picking up the pieces. Some storms that we experience are relational. We have a concern in the back of our mind, maybe about the way we're relating to our spouse or our kids or the way they're relating to us. And we just let it keep rolling around in the back of our mind. We don't stop to address it and the storm arrives or a dating relationship breaks up. We lose a job and we're left wondering what went wrong. We could be stunned as we try to figure out what is going on here and what is happening. Maybe we're pushing the envelope with our finances and an unexpected expense just puts us over the edge. So in this series, what we're finding is there is a rich soil for growth in the aftermath. If we'll cooperate with God, if we'll work with him, he can provide a tremendous amount of growth and understanding, particularly growth in wisdom as we try to rebuild and as we try to pick up the pieces. Today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the need to Lean in, which is not our native response to trouble um, in the aftermath. Uh, We're going to look at our need to lean in and get all we can out of the experience. Sometimes we're humiliated and embarrassed and and we want to look away. I have stuff like that. And we try to forget about it. We try to pretend it didn't just happen. We try to just move on. But... It's it's all there. I'd like to show you a clip from the movie The Money Pit uh, this this morning. And at the center of the storyline of this movie is a house that's falling apart. This couple, it's their dream home. It looks fantastic on the outside. And I, I found this movie hilarious the first time I saw it. But it was in 1986. I was graduating from seminary, from graduate school. And I wasn't a homeowner. I might view it differently. <laughs> I might view it differently now. Uh, but a couple, Tom Hanks and Shelley Long, purchased their dream home. And they begin to find out that it has some flaws. Here's the apex of the flaws you see in the movie. Let's watch this together. Thank <laughs> you. 
problem in the kitchen. Nothing trivial. Well, the turkey's done. So is the kitchen. Actually, it's a little overdone for my taste. Let's not go there again. You don't want to tell me what happened? No, I don't. I just want to relax in a nice, lukewarm bath. What about this? I don't think that can hurt us anymore. the character in the movie, chose to laugh about the whole thing. We choose how we're going to respond in the aftermath. We decide what we're going to do next. And what we do next either adds to our trouble or helps to minimize it. This couple, they purchased their dream home. They could have easily blamed Someone else, the builder, the real estate agent, the owners prior who didn't reveal the problems with the house. They hid them. But they're going to need to get into a frame of mind where they are willing to take responsibility for their part of the problem, no matter what it is, and lean into it and work out a a solution to it. This, this is what we're going to look at today, the need to get into that frame of mind we're willing to lean in, not shrink back, not pull back from our problems. We have to own our part of the problem, or if we didn't generate the problem, we need to learn to own our part of the solution. That's, that's a part of it. That's, that's our, that, that is how we make the most of the trouble in the aftermath of it. After becoming a homeowner, if I were to watch this movie again, it would resonate with some of the experiences I've had since I became a homeowner. Over several weeks' time, it might have been months, I can't remember, I'm bad at time frames. I, I had a lot of help, but we laid laminate flooring through the parts of the house that had carpet in it because it got old, it needed to be replaced. So... Some friends and I laid laminate flooring through most of the house. About two weeks after we finished the job, the toilet overflowed in the bedroom, and and I had to very quickly pick up the laminate that I had just laid in our master bedroom, which was the last room that I had just finished. 
I was numb. I was numb. And I couldn't think about it for a while. Or I, I could have probably, but I chose not to. It was rolling around in the back of my mind. And I just didn't want to bring it to the forefront of my mind because it was painful to think about all the work that had gone into that. And now I'm on the third round of laying laminate in my, floor, in, in my bedroom because a pipe burst a year and a half ago. <laughs> so I haven't brought myself to uh, deal with that yet. And as my wife might say right now, we need to lean in and get in the frame of mind to deal with this situation. Uh, she's been great about it. She hasn't bothered me at, at all. It bothers me, though. As I walk into the bedroom and I look at the concrete floor where there should be laminate. And so, hey, I'm going to deal with it. Now I'm, I'm making a commitment to this group of people. I'm going to deal with it soon. We have a wedding coming up in our family. People are going to be visiting. I'm motivated to get it done. So, and, and, and this is what God does. If, if, if we, if we have problems and that, and that's, that's stuff that doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, it's floor. I have a concrete floor to walk on. Laminate, it's really nice, but, you know, we, we can survive on the concrete floor. But when we deal with relational struggles, it really hurts. When we're dealing with financial problems, it feels like we're buried, we're never going to come out of it. That, that, is, that is painful. When we're struggling at work and it does it we can't figure out what's going on that's that's what really gets to us this this stuff this stuff hurts it's embarrassing and even humiliating at times to blow it and find yourself in the rubble of the aftermath that you've created and maybe you've made a a faulty decision or a poor choice and it is hard to own up to it. it. It's just very difficult. If you aren't the main cause of the problem, maybe you're not. You can be indignant because you have to, de- I have to deal with this. I shouldn't have to deal with this kind of thing. And in an ideal world, that's true. But in the world we live in, we have to deal with this stuff. How much better would it be to humble yourself? And just walk through it with the Lord. How, how much better can it be? We can minimize trouble in the future by humbling ourselves in the aftermath of the trouble and growing through it. The good news is God uses the aftermath to reveal our need for wisdom. This is what he's doing. He's, he's arranging all of this in our lives. He allows it to come into our lives. Because he wants us to grow through it. He wants to develop us in it. In fact, the aftermath is an opportunity-rich time to grow and develop as a person, especially in wisdom. This is sort of the theme behind what we're talking about, how God grows wisdom in the aftermath throughout this series. And last week I gave a working definition from of the scriptural perspective on what wisdom is. And wisdom is the ability to make the best choice in the flow of life 
and the best choice honors God and helps us make progress toward good goals. That's, that's what wisdom is. Wisdom keeps us from repeating the same mistakes over and over again. It, it helps us recognize when the tornado is forming so that we don't get caught up in the, the repeat mistakes. And it helps us minimize when we get caught up in a tornado, which happens. No one's perfect. We all blow it. When we get caught up in the tornado, it helps us, wisdom helps us know what to choose and what to say, what to do to minimize the problems. This is, this is a highly valuable thing. What you find in Proverbs, great book, very practical book in the scripture, in the Bible, and uh, it talks a lot about wisdom, but in the Proverbs, wisdom is personified in the first eight chapters as a woman. And she has a very different approach to education than we find in the U.S. In the U.S., you study in a classroom, and then you apply what you study in a career, in a job. You'll go to college, university, and you'll take a, a major. You, you focus on this thing, and then you learn in the classroom, and then you you apply what you learn in the classroom in a job or a career later on. That's that's our approach to education. And it's important to understand wisdom flips that. Look at what it says in Proverbs 1. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my my reproof, this is wisdom speaking. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Now, we take great care in the educational process not to hurt anybody's feelings. Wisdom is not so much concerned about our feelings. Now, wisdom belongs to God. He's very gracious and kind. And so he, he gives us just what we can handle as he tries to stretch us and grow us. But at the same time, wisdom that belongs to God isn't focused on building our self-esteem primarily. It's focused on helping us grow in it. Wisdom's goal is not to make us feel bad. But she is concerned mostly with growing godly perspective and skill in handling life in the best way possible. And so since that's her goal, this shapes her approach to growing her you know wisdom in us. So wisdom what it does is it flips what we do in education. Correction comes first. If you heed the correction, the principles pour out. We flip it. We learn principles, we apply them in in real life. We learn wisdom in real life. If we heed her correction, the principles follow. This is an important thing to understand about it because wisdom's main pipeline for growing in us is correction. 
This is the pipeline. Proverbs 3 shows us that God himself has built correction into the way he works wisdom into our lives. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary in his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This gives us a picture of God. He's very kind, very gracious. And he knows that if he doesn't discipline us or reprove us back here, that we're going to pay a price price down the line. And that's, that's why we discipline our kids, right? I mean, the kids, if we love our kids, we realize they can't be a self-centered, myopic, egotistical person the rest of their life, or it's not going to go well with them. So we correct that back here so that as they get older and grow into adulthood, they can do well. This is what God does with us. That word discipline in this passage in Hebrew is originally written in Hebrew. It's, it's the word musar. And here's its definition. This is from Strong's Concordance of Hebrew definitions, and so this is, that's what they look like in that book. Um, but properly, musar is chastisement, and you gain some insight into what it is if you look at its root. Its root is yesar. That's the root of musar. And the primitive root of musar means to chastise literally with blows. Or figuratively, to instruct. Now, have you ever been instructed and felt beat up by it? I have. Oh, you know, somebody's talking, they're trying to teach something, and you're just getting, you know, you're just getting pummeled. You're up against the ropes. That's what it's talking about. You go to meet with somebody and you're, you want some counsel on something you're dealing with. You're having some problems and you're really hoping for affirmation encouragement just just a big hug and that's not what happens you just they they talk and and it's not that they're harsh but what they're saying and the perspective they're coming from is just you're up against the ropes you're getting beat up by that it that this is i've experienced this over and over again now we all need a good amount of encouragement and wise people what they do is they tuck the correction into an atmosphere of encouragement. That's what we need. We don't need to just get pommeled over and over again. But this kind of instruction that it's talking about here in Proverbs 3, Musar, is more like a football or a basketball coach. Have you ever seen a basketball coach at a timeout? They're, they're not hugging the players. They're, hey, hey. Remember, we talked about this in practice. Do this. Don't do what you're doing. Stop it. Because they're, they're wanting to achieve the goal. They're wanting to accomplish the goal. So they're focused on that. In Diamond Bar, uh, a while back, our high school football team won two CIF championships in a row. And there were nine Division I athletes on that team. And every one of those guys that I talked to despised the coach. They couldn't stand him. But he 
help them do exactly what they needed to do to win. He, he was a really good coach. And we have to be careful that we, we understand the role of Musar in our lives. It would have helped those guys to understand the role of Musar. <laughs> to get a grip on, hey, that's what a coach does. They're not here to make me feel like the star. They're here to help me get better. They're here to help me grow. And so we have to be careful as we walk through the pain of life, as we find ourselves in the aftermath of trouble, we have to be careful that we're not just wanting to go for affirmation and for words that people say to us that line up with what we really want to hear because that may not be what we need. Deeply appreciating the reproofs of discipline, like it talks about in Proverbs 3, uh, is crucial to learning wisdom. It's a crucial aspect. Major part of God's training program for us is tied to the consequences of the choices we're making. We make a choice, there's a consequence. We respond to the consequence. And this is God's training program for us. It's developed in life as we're living life. The Bible shows us that wisdom develops through coaching from two primary sources. And these are the resources, these are three of the resources God uses to grow us and develop us as people. The first one is God himself, and he coaches us through scripture. To grow and move past repeating the same mistakes, we need to think differently. We, we need God's help. We need his perspective, not our own. Not to get what we want. Proverbs 6.23 says this. It says, The commandment, for the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. This is where life is. We need coaching through the scripture and through the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us through it. We need God's help. So spending consistent time reading the scripture and asking God to speak to us through it is crucial for our development. If we're going to be become wiser, we, we need to get into the word of God. And for me, one of the main ways God speaks to me through the Bible is correction. I get up in the morning and I read, read a passage of scripture and there's this strengthening, there's this encouragement, but often there's correction. For instance, I, when I was younger, I, and I still natively have a temper. I, I, can, I can get angry pretty easily, pretty quickly. But when I was younger, I remember I felt justified in just letting it fly and, and letting people have it because I, I didn't want to hold it in due to the fact that it wasn't very healthy for me emotionally to hold my anger in. So this is how I justified it. I'm just walking you through my thinking. Not right, but this was my thinking. And then I read a verse in Proverbs 29:11. A fool gives full vent to his anger. Oh, <laughs> 
But a wise man quietly holds it back. Huh. That, that's, that's a stab through the heart that I needed to hear. Because I could tell you some stories that not, I, I don't really, I'd like to block them out of my memory. I'd like to just erase them. But that began to change me. And then, as you get into Scripture, as you're trying to deal with something like anger, God uses it to change your thinking over time, your perspective on it. Uh, A little while later, uh, it might have been much later, I can't remember, the the verse, Proverbs 16.32, caught my attention. It says, better a patient man than a warrior. A man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. And I thought, why is that better? Why is that? Why is it better for me as I relate to my family and the people around me, as I try to lead people in a certain direction or whatever it is I, I need to do, why is it better to be a patient person than a warrior? Because the warrior takes it by force. A patient man who's controlling his temper learns how to bring people along. And that blesses them. There are other passages you get in Scripture that God uses to help. He uses to help me. The anger of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. It doesn't. And what I've found over the years is that As God changes me, my native response is not to control my temper. It's not, it's to vent and and let people know exactly what I'm thinking. And I, I, you know, you get more sophisticated as you go along, but that's my native response. And what happens is, as I get into the Word, He, God disciplines me. He coaches me through it. He corrects me. And then I have a choice. I can either repent change my mind about it and do what God wants and set my heart to do what God wants. I can either repent, which means literally do a 180, turn around from going the direction I was going and go God's way, surrender to him and ask him for help. And over time, what happens is, as I'm in Scripture, as the Holy Spirit's speaking me through it, um, as he's correcting me, I surrender to him and he grows. The picture in the Bible of how God changes us is he grows the fruit of the spirit in us. There is no amount of self-effort that can grow the fruit on my peach tree. I water it. I, I watch it. I'm excited that there's all kinds of peaches on it right now. But I can't produce the fruit. It's only God and the way he's made life to work that can produce the fruit. It's the same in our spiritual lives. We cannot produce the fruit of a character that pleases God. But it's through this process of getting into the scripture, letting God speak to us, repenting at the correction, surrendering to God, and making things right, excuse me, making things right as he brings things to our attention that he begins to change us. He changes our perspective. He begins to change what's important to us. So this is how it works. God's word is specific to what we deal with in life. It can correct us based on 
skewed perspective, laziness, dangerous addictive behavior, worry, fear, and on and on. The second thing God uses, or who he uses to develop wisdom in us, is by coaching from wise people. So he coaches us, and we have to be intentional about going to wise people for counsel and instruction. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. This is the aftermath. In the aftermath, it's helpful for the future to get some guidance from the wise. Counsel and instruction from the wise, they help us pick up the pieces in the aftermath and rebuild. They can see things that we miss. They're they're looking objectively at the the situation. They have a different vantage point, different point of view. They're outside looking in. We're in the rubble. We can't always see because our emotions are pulling us apart and our our mind is racing and we don't really want to look. And so we're we're not. And it is priceless guidance that you can receive from wise people who have been in the Word of God. They've been in the Scripture. They've let God correct them. They've changed. They've worked through things. They're not perfect, but they've gone through the changes over and over and over again. They've allowed God to develop them into the people they are who can help you. This is how you keep from repeating the same mistakes over and over again is you, you find people who have good outcomes with their life. If you want help with parenting, find somebody who's raised kids and done, a, done well with it, who has some wisdom in it. This is how you get, you stop the tornado from forming and storming. Or if you're in it, you are able to hop out of it. Maybe in your marriage, you keep having the same argument with your spouse. Same old fight, different day. Get some help. Go to God. Go to wise people. Maybe you just ran your mouth again and it got you into trouble. Oh, why did I say that? I've thought that many times. What? I knew about five seconds before I said that I should have never let it out of my mouth. Why did I do that? Get, get some help. In handling money, the debt may be piling up. I can't get a grip on my spending. I need, I need someone to help me with this. I need some perspective. I need some help. With parenting, when the kids are young, they could be getting on your nerves. It could be your fault. You're not training them, maybe. Get, get, some, get some help for this. Get, go to somebody. Get some help. Or when the kids are older, you find yourself asking, you did what? And you're, you're sorting. You're, sometimes they can make destructive choices. The older you get, the more painful it is. At work, things are awful at one job, so you change jobs. And it's the same scenario because you know the constant. It's you. <laughs> you, you, were, you were over here, now you're over here. And so you need to consider... Is there some correction that God's trying to give me in this, this situation, in this circumstance? 
For me, there almost always is. Rarely do I come out of it very clean. I've always got something I can learn in the circumstances. There's an important passage in the book of Hebrews that describes what Christ followers do when they face adversity and trouble. Christ followers lean into adversity and refuse to shrink back. We do this because God strengthens us. He helps us. Hebrews 10.39, and it's talking about all of those who follow God and fear God from throughout history. It says this, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Are you getting beat up right now? The Lord wants to train you through the trouble. I want to encourage you to rely on God and lean into dealing with any aftermath you're dealing with. Whether it's of your own doing or not. Get to the frame of mind where you can lean into it. Don't shrink back. Shrinking back only adds to the trouble. It will eventually lead to destruction. There's a mind trick that our, our, the enemy plays on us. And the mind trick is, well, this is a really bad season. And I, I'm, this is stressful. I, and it should only last until summer. You know, I'll give it till June. And then after June, the problem's going to clear up. It's going to be over. And then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to handle life again. That, that is a trick. Because what often happens is you get to June and the problem is still there. This is a picture of a hot landing zone in Vietnam. And what's happening in this picture is these, these helicopters, these troops, were thinking they were about to get picked up and uh, get out of the, the fight. But the helicopters are pulling back out because the, the battle's too much right there. And so the troops have to keep fighting. And this is how it is with us. We, we don't let the enemy play a trick. I can stand this. I can take it until November or December. Because you may need to stand up to it longer than that. Stay in the bite. Don't shrink back. Shrink back only multiplies our problems. Don't shrink back from facing the things you need to handle in your marriage in friendships, in finances, or, or even in ministry, in church life. It only multiplies your trouble as you do shrink back. When we're dealing with the aftermath, we can get dis disoriented. And we need to lean in. Here's a picture of a basketball coach. Look at all those guys. They are, they are leaning in to figure out what, what he has to say and the correction he's offering. Hey, don't do what we've been doing. Do this. He's drawing it out on the board and they're all checking it out. That's, that's a picture of what we need to do in the aftermath of our trouble. This is rich soil for growing in wisdom. The aftermath. I'd like to show you a scene that's common occurrence in California after storms. 
with the houses that the homes that are built on the hillsides. And it's it's something that happened in February of this year to a home in San Rafael. And I'd like to just watch it briefly and then we'll talk about it. Can you imagine? Now, they interviewed, I thought this had the interview on it, but they interviewed the man who owned the home. He and his wife and children got out in time. But they heard the cracking, and they ran out of the house, turned around, and, and watched as this, this occurred. That, that is hard for me to watch. That gets to me right there. And it, it's disheartening to think about rebuilding now after something like that happens. It, it takes a, a lot to get in the frame of mind then to begin to rebuild, to take the first step and the second step and the next step. I want to encourage you to set two appointments that will help you begin to rebuild your life in the aftermath or that will help you to begin to minimize the trouble, and um, grow through it. The first appointment is to meet consistently with God himself through prayer and his word, the Bible. Ask God to speak to you. He will speak to you. Listen to him. Take your questions to him. So often I have things rolling around in my mind, and, I, and then all of a sudden I realize, you can ask God. <laughs> hey, and this is what I do for a living up here. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to lead you guys, and it takes me sometimes. It's the, hopefully, and I think this is true. The, the the amount of time it takes me to think about that is shortening. But we can take our questions, we can take our needs, we can ask God, we can look into Scripture and ask God to speak to us. He is faithful to do that. If you seek God, the scripture says, he will be found by you. And he will walk you through whatever it is you're going, going through and whatever you're dealing with. The second appointment I would make and keep is to find godly and wise people to help you walk through the problem. They can see things that you can't see. They, can, they have experience in handling life's problems from a biblical angle, from God's angle, from his perspective. And we, we can use their wisdom. We can draft off of their wisdom to quit repeating the same mistakes. They'll give encouragement, which means to put courage in us when we're tempted to shrink back. The, these are the two appointments I would set and keep in the aftermath of the storms. 
I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take out the connection card that Thad mentioned earlier. I'd like to encourage you to take a couple of next steps. We always do this. If, if you're a regular attender or member, I hope, hope this doesn't get old. We always look at how we can apply what it is we've been looking at. Here are some suggestions. My next step today is to memorize Proverbs 19.20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. This is how God grows us. He himself, we listen to the advice of the scripture. We listen to advice of the wise. A second thing we could do, a second step we could take is to spend time with God this week to seek wisdom from him. If you need help knowing where to start, ask someone uh, or, or just jot it down on your connection card. Hey, I'd like to know where to start in the scripture. We'd love to help with that. And then finally, set up a meeting with a wise person to get counsel for a problem I'm facing. That could be a step as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your kindness, your goodness, and your grace. I pray that, God, you would you would help us in the aftermath of the unpleasant things that go on in our lives, the, the trouble. I pray that you'd help us grow through it, develop wisdom in us, I pray. Help us to repent, surrender, and make these appointments that, will change, that you can use to change us, God. I pray that you'd help us in these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.